you put statistics on this, Phil? Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward. Here's the pass. Antonio's through. Chance of four. What a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast. We're back for a quick look at the window, the signings and the rumours once more. Joining me are, as ever, Jack Elderton and Callum Goodall. It's uh, it's too hot for written jokes. <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the relief of most, I'm sure. Um, it's all transfer sites, so we'll cover uh, our new signing, new boy Nea Fagerd, uh links to Armando Broja. Is it Armando Broja or Amanda? be weird if it was Amanda, wouldn't it? I believe it's Armando Brogia. <laughs> Amanda yeah. Brogia and some links that have popped up in the meantime to, well, left-back strikers, midfielders, goalkeepers, scouts, cleaners, probably. I don't know. <laughs> Anything, anywhere. Uh, but we'll start with Nea Fagerd, who has signed on the dotted line after what felt like a, a very long and to the internet prolonged transfer kind of ordeal, which in fact, was just a, a man playing international football and not being <laughs> available to <laughs> react to the whims of uh, West Ham fans. He started his career in Morocco, uh, playing for a... It's, I, I'm reading from the esteemed colleagues, my esteemed colleagues and their, their work. <laughs> we play for the Mohammed, uh, Mohammed the Sixth Football Academy and FUS Rabat before moving to Dijon for uh, 1.4 million he, uh, he won the league with Rabat which was a pretty big deal at the time for a team that isn't a, exactly a prolific title winner um, after two seasons at Dijon he left for Rennes where he soon established himself as Ligue 1's, one of the Ligue 1's best centre-backs it worked out pretty well considering he, it was a bit of a risk at the time he took that on his shoulders which is probably a good sign for this in fact he's got kind of many of the things that you'd want in a character and, and the kind of characters that Moyes seems to buy as well he's got a bit of a rags to riches journey he's played kind of lower levels maybe in Morocco, moved up through the French leagues, is now kind of getting his big move to the Premier League as well. Um, multilingual, which is good as well. A clearly a background of hard work and growth. And a friend of Pablo Fornells, which is obviously one of the more important things <laughs> for me. You, anyway, yeah, for me. Uh, when I try at Malaga, they make friends. As long as Pablo's happy. Exactly. <laughs> Would you want to make Pablo Fornells sad? Imagine. <laughs> Imagine. Uh, he's a friend of Sevilla striker and Nasiri as well, who is perennially linked with West Ham and will be for the rest of the summer. Uh, probably even if we did buy him, he'd probably still be linked just to how those <laughs> things go. Um, that's a kind of a story of Nea Fagerd. Cal, what about the data? What's the data told you about the player we now have? Yeah, man, it's good. It's good. It got me excited. Um, it's someone that we've tracked for quite a long time. And, and if we believe what we've been told, is someone that Newman and Moyes have been tracking for a while as well. Uh, I think we were linked with him last summer as well so those rumours kind of ring true and I, I do believe that um, and it makes sense because he's been performing at a pretty high level um, consistently for I'd say at least two years now and I think even at Dijon he played in fits and starts but clearly did enough to impress a, a team that's been in Europe for the last two seasons and had the confidence to throw him into the starting lineup despite his relative inexperience so that all uh, bodes well I think um before the data, I think even just looking at some of the the PR stuff that he's done 
uh, over the last two days. I think he's he's come across really well in that. Actually, um, like you've said, the multilingual aspect is great. Uh, it means he'll be able to communicate with the back line, which is something that even our English speaking defenders have struggled with at times over the last few seasons. Uh, and if he's to be playing in front of a French goalkeeper and alongside a French centre back, I think that can only only bode well. Um, and I think it was a really nice touch, I thought, for Obona to sort of come out and introduce him as well. And I think those words, uh, "You're the future," I think were were, were pretty telling. Um, uh, which is great. And I think under Bonner's tutelage, I think he'll, he'll really develop hopefully into an even better centre-back than what we've got. But um, yeah, in terms of the data, I mean, the main standouts for me and, and part of the reason I've been tracking him for so long, um, apart from the fact he's left-footed, which is is pretty much plus 10 points for every centre-back in world football. It seems to get you a good few million whacked onto your price tag. Uh, they're fairly highly sought after um, just because of what they can bring you and build up compared to having two right-footed centre-backs, which we've seen at times can be awkward uh, with Zuma and Dawson playing alongside each other. Um, but yeah, his progressive ability, both in terms of ball playing, which is frankly exceptional. Um, he's completing 80.6% of his progressive passes, uh, not just last season, but over the course of the last two seasons, um, which is only 2% off the likes of Van Dijk and about 7% off Laporte. Um, so obviously in pretty good company. Um, and also just in terms of continuity, it's a slight upgrade on the levels that Ogbonna was posting as well before his injury, which was about 79%, albeit he was attempting half the number. So in terms of um, accuracy and sort of uh, the frequency of progressive passing, I think Aguerd is, is going to be a really good upgrade in addition to that, to that back line. And uh, if we look towards the future, which realistically probably doesn't contain Cresswell uh, maybe this season, but uh, definitely beyond that, I think he'll start, start to be phased out um, and sort of the responsibilities that he's had in terms of progression has been massive and at times very predictable because it, it's the obvious ball out for us and teams have sort of learned how to how to play against that. Um, so bringing in Aguerd who can sort of take that responsibility off Cresswell's shoulders and give us a few other options um, and also the ability to just fizz balls into the feet of Rice who will be playing obviously at left centre mid ahead of him um, and sort of turn out and progress the ball up. I think that's going to be really good and really exciting. Um, physically as well, I think he's, he's great. Um, but defensively, the the is is the area that I guess looking at the data you'd have um, some red well red flags probably a bit strong, but um, definitely be a bit dubious. I mean, the obvious one to look at is defensive dual success rate when looking at any defender, uh, and his is comparatively pretty low at just sixty one percent. I think that ranks him in the bottom three percent of all centre backs playing in Europe's top five leagues over the course of the last season um, that, that have played 750 minutes or more. Um, and I suppose that is worrying if you haven't watched him. And it's still something that is obviously of a concern. Um, but I think, as Jack will point out going on later, talking about the non-data points, it's not something that, having watched quite a lot of footage now, that I'm overly concerned about because there's aspects to his game that sort of, mm. how do I say, he sort of, recognises that that might be a weakness, but tries to avoid those situations by doing other things before those situations arise in terms of his anticipation and, and positioning and stuff, um, which is which is great. And then I think that sort of rings out in the data as well, in the sense that uh, he commits less into uh, in less fouls and more interceptions than Dawson managed last year, um, which kind of speaks to a defender that knows when to step out of the line and only will only step out if he has a great deal of confidence that he's going to win the ball without committing a foul or without getting caught out of position and his man beating him. So I think that bodes well, particularly 
given <laughs> the amount of times we've spent watching Diop playing that left centre-back role this season and just flying out of the defensive line on a whim without any real causal concern for what might happen afterwards. So, <laughs> so overall, yeah, really exciting. Um, aerially as well is, is the other standout area, which I think Moyes is obviously going to love. He, uh, he won more aerial duels than any of our centre-backs last season. Um, and he scored the same number of headed goals as Dawson. So if we're slightly worried about Dawson being taken out of the team um, because of the goal threat uh, aspect, which really seems a bit of a novel factor to consider when, when you're worrying about how important your centre-back is. But he, yeah, the fact he scored as many headed goals uh, should allow for the sort of continuity of our, our danger from set pieces. Um, so, yeah, all in all, the data is very promising um, and a bar that defensive dual success rate. So can, what, what is it, Jack, that, that mitigates that kind of number and, and takes the data and gives you the context of how he plays? I mean, other than, in my head, what are Mikel Sylvester-esque raking diagonal passes I'm expecting from him? Um, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know much about the player. So, I mean, if you take those numbers that sound like they could be an initial concern, what, what's mitigating that for you? Um, I think, Generally, one of the biggest positives you can you can find when looking at players is players who, um, through footage review, you can sort of see quite quickly that they know their own strengths and, and weaknesses well and know how to uh, manage their weaknesses um, as best as possible. And Agur definitely falls into that category across uh, the last season particularly. Um Positioning is something that Cal commented on, and that is definitely a developing aspect of his game. Uh, something that was probably more of a weakness uh, when he first arrived in in Ligue 1 with Dijon, uh, but something that has come on a great deal um, through his time in in France, and hopefully can continue to progress uh, because he's still quite young for a centre back, um, and still quite a lot of room for improvement from where he is um, as of now. I think. Generally speaking, the two real key areas of his game that would kind of define him most clearly are, are one, his progress, progressive passing ability and, and two, his aerial ability. Defensively, he's definitely um, one that we, I think, will look to improve with over time. Um, one of my primary concerns when when sort of translating um, those data points into, into real footage review um, is him dealing with... Um, close 1v1 ground duels with players that are explosive um, and one of the things that we've heard talked about a lot if you've been on Twitter or, or reading articles about Agurd over the last couple of weeks is, is his pace and his pace is undoubtedly very strong a very strong part of his game but um, that is generally in recovery situations not necessarily in terms of explosive across the first two three yards he's quite a spindly guy um, quite skinny and generally, because he doesn't therefore have big hamstring muscles to explode with, across the first two, three yards, he's not massively quick. Mm. And that can mean when a player does drop in and receive the ball and then turn and run at him, he can struggle to get his legs um, together as quickly as he wants them or to get his legs to do what he wants them to do as quickly as he wants 
um, to perform those actions. Yeah. And that can be a real problem in terms of that defensive dual success rate, because it can be easy for someone to get past him maybe on the first go, but then he's got the pace to then recover those situations and make a tackle after that. Uh, and something he's improved with, like I said, is his positioning over time to anticipate these situations and to be in the right position to deal with them earlier. Mm. Um, I, again, that is something that's developing. I wouldn't expect him to be the finished article when he arrives um, on that front. Um Talking more more specifically about his passing as well, I mean, Cal gave him a kind of glowing review from the numbers um, as a passer. One of the things that that Ren uh, do very successfully to to maximise his passing ability is overloading the left half space. Um, so they might commit both Terrier um, and Santa Maria or uh, Flavian Tate or Borijo or whoever's on that left side of the midfield into the left half space to open up the outside channel for the left back mm. um, to explode down or to open up the left channel for the striker to then step across into. And that can create these really nice angles for curved passes off a guard's left foot down the outside of the midfield around in behind the fullback, the opposition fullback, um, exploiting that space outside of the opposition centre-back, his counterpart on the right side of the opposition defence. That might be something that we look to replicate because it's such a strong part of his game um, and something that we could certainly replicate with four nows on the side, potentially playing off the left side, be very comfortable stepping into that overloading half-space role. Um, not something that Cresswell would be very good at exploiting because he hasn't got the pace to get up and down in that way. And that sort of brings me to the second part um, of, of uh, talking about a guard, which is about um, defensive line height. Now, this is something that he'll be able to help us with a lot um, because we'll be able to step up further um, as a defensive line with him in the side. That will very likely not translate to a higher line of engagement, though, with a guard. And there's a big difference between those two things. I think a guard generally wants to retreat as a defender uh, because of those struggles he has in those first two, three yards of explosive um, speed um, because he doesn't necessarily get himself organised bodily quickly enough in those situations. He would rather jump up as a high line and then if he can't win an aerial duel or a physical duel with a player, if they drop off more than two, three yards, he'd rather then retreat backwards than follow that player all the way out. And that might therefore mean that we're not committing to duels five yards into the into the opposition half, trying to keep people penned in. But when teams do transition against us, and generally, I mean, this is another thing that's important to comment on. He'll find strikers like this more regularly in the Premier League. There are just more of them. Uh, strikers that are going to drop off turn and then play through to wingers or advancing fullbacks in league and there's quite a lot of um, big strikers that are going to want those physical duels, which kind of suits a guard in, in a lot of ways. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that we'll, we're more likely to drop off as a unit. And that's the second part of why um, I'm not sure that Cresswell will be so well suited to play along, playing alongside him and maximising him um, his talents as best as possible because Cresswell won't have uh, the recovery place to, to occupy a position two yards inside our own half as a defensive line initially to then recover if the ball goes over the top into that channel. Um all in all, very strong signing will enable us to play in a lot of different ways, positively in build-up, but also positively defensively in terms of counter-pressing. Um, but still, some some real big strides that he can make as a player, which is a massive positive, really, given the fee. A lot of people are, are looking at this as a... I think the dream scenario in everyone's head they're imagining is a Gerd picks the ball up, he looks up, it's a big diagonal, and he's, he's bang bowing through every time almost. <laughs> by the I mean, does that, does, that pan, does that look like it's... 
achievable? Does he look like a player who's going to smack those diagonals and do that for us? He's definitely got the skill set to do it, but I think his tendency will always be to look on the left side ahead of him and sort of try and play in the likes of four nows and even Antonio, I suppose, if he's the starting striker, which I expect he will be, his tendency to sort of drift out and occupy that left wing space. I think he's, given that our squad kind of, assuming we get a new left back, will lend itself um, to having the quality in front of Aguet to play his preferred ball, I think we should expect to see that more frequently. But he does definitely have the the technical ability to to hit those runs of Bowen, which we've throughout the course of last season seen him make, but quite often not be found and kind of have to jog back to get on side and mm. then try again. But by that time, the opposition defence has clocked onto what he's doing. So I think, yeah, in terms of... Um, Technical ability, definitely. Uh, obviously, the vision to see it. I mean, his vision is exceptional. Um, but I think, yeah, he'd, he'd, he'll always prefer uh, to play into the, the players that are ahead of him, I, I would think. I think if we're talking about a switch just briefly on this, I think actually what we could be looking at, I mean, it's lovely to look at the dream scenario and yeah, yeah. he could get an assist if he plays diagonal over the top of the defence for Bayern. But what we might see more regularly as a progressive option is Bayern making that run, dragging the defence, Soufal then using that as a trigger to move forward and then him playing a switch pass into Soufal who can then carry down down the right wing. And that would be probably a more regular way that we see his his switch passing ability used to progress us up the pitch. There's been a lot of noise around Armando Broja for six months, if not more, to us. Um, probably since he battered our back line, one of the what, I don't know two or three times he did last season. I'm not sure he played in the cup. I can't remember. Um, I think he, he came sa- off the bench in the cup. I'm not sure. <laughs> yes, uh, at the end. Yeah, I think, did he score at the end? Battling, he seems to have a voodoo, uh, some sort of hex over um, Craig Dawson. <laughs> you think uh, he, he kind of plays up to what Dawson would want um, physically, but then just beats him anyway. I mean, I can see, you can certainly see why West Ham fans would be excited because some West Ham fans possibly won't have watched much more than games against, you know, Southampton, and he's certainly performed in those. But there's there's a lot to look at with Brozier, isn't it? He's not, he's no by by no means a finished article. He's what twenty years old. He went through real peaks and troughs last year as well he kind of go through really hot periods that people would look at him as this star striker and then he could be on the bench for a month to for Che Adams and Shay Lo- uh, Shane Long even um, after that so he's not he's not perfectly formed there but does that really matter considering we've got quite a good striker we quite like at the moment in Antonio uh, yeah, it definitely does matter. I think when you're assessing um, how you want to use that backup striker, I think it's something that we've all looked at and said that we we would we would like to have someone who who's capable of coming in uh, potentially for games in in Europe or for games mm-hmm. after games in in Europe, um, and that very likely means inconsistent starts um, and that's not necessarily hugely beneficial to uh, to a youngster looking to develop um, their game um, with areas that, that clearly need improvement. You'd kind of want consistent football uh, for that. And that's not me saying I don't want us to sign a youngster up front. I'm just talking about how with Brozier, we've seen areas that are very strong and areas that he needs to develop. And if he's going to develop that, he's going to want some kind of consistent um, game time in order to, to do so. Um, I think more more broadly, I can see the reasons that we're excited, although I wouldn't use performances against Craig Dawson as a brilliant barometer <laughs> to, assess, to assess any striker, really, because of Craig Dawson's limitations. That doesn't mean Craig Dawson's a bad player. It just means that if you're very good at timing your runs in behind, as Armando Brozier is, then Craig Dawson is probably one of the players that you would want to play against. Mm. Um, and I'm not 
surprised that he looked so good against Craig Dawson because that is seriously a very big strength of uh, Armando Brogia's game. His timing of runs is exceptional. Um, his pressing is also exceptional. Another thing that Craig Dawson really doesn't like. Um, so those are two elements of his game that I would say are, are, are very strong and very good reasons um, to look at him as an option. Uh, I think particularly because both are very well suited to West Ham. Um, some counterbalancing issues would be, um, I don't think he uh, is as good in the air as he perhaps should be for his frame. Um, I think he lost the most aerial duels of any striker um, in the Premier League. When I certainly was was first when we looked in January, um, mm. Cal, to do our report on him then. Um, and and does definitely still come out in the bottom one percentile in, in Europe for, for aerial duels lost. That doesn't mean he's not winning lots of aerial duels. He is winning lots of aerial duels, but his um, efficiency or effectiveness in those duels isn't necessarily as high as it should yeah. be. Um, he's involved in a freakish number. He he's involved, involved in, in like 12. Yeah, in a uh, freakish number of them, that is for sure. Um, but the, the biggest issue and something that I've commented on on over the last few days um, repeatedly is, is his lack of creative output. Um, and, and, and that is sort of the, the major concern in terms of him transitioning from uh, a, a two-striker system, which is what he's experienced thus far in his senior career with Vitesse and Southampton into a single-striker system with West Ham, uh, because you'd hope... Um, and it's definitely hope at this stage that we're going to recruit a dynamic left winger um, and that at some points throughout the season we'll be looking to have two players going beyond the striker um, on, on, on each flank or two players capable of going beyond the striker on, on either flank. Um, and with that flexibility, when he is going to drop in as you need to as a single striker at times, um, if he's not then capable of playing the ball through, um, then that will be a real limiting factor to, to how we um, create chances to score goals and a real limiting factor on someone who's performed exceptionally over the last season in Jared Bowen. Um, and that's something you have to be very careful about when you're looking at squad construction is like, who are our best players and how do we maximise their abilities? Um, and players who I really want us to be looking at maximising are Jared Bowen, Pablo Fornals, Declan Rice, because these guys are really very good or have very high ceilings. Mm. Um, and you, you want to look at players who are going to dovetail um, with them particularly well. And uh, Brozier has attempted six three passes in his entire senior career. Um, and he's completed one of those six three passes. Um, quite, I mean, a, it's quite impressive to even only attempt six. It's, it's an incredibly, it's weird, impressively meagre return. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the, that's why it's worth commenting on because it's not something, you know, it's not something that you can describe as uh, a skill that's developing. He clearly doesn't have that as part mm. of his armory. And that would be a really major thing to address with someone who's gone through their entire development to this stage without that really being a part of their game. And in terms mm. of playing in a transition focused uh, team that wants to counterattack, but isn't necessarily always going to have you as the goal scoring focal point yeah. of the counterattacks, um, then that's a real limiting factor in his, his game. Are you talking about? Um, and we'll talk. We'll, we'll we'll go over potential and how that can affect the transfer, etc. In a little bit. But you're talking about. Uh, you've talked about movement. You've talked about passing. Now, if we can 
it's quite obvious his passing game isn't up there yet he's creatively not there yet is his movement good enough to activate spaces that Bowen needs is he doing that stuff well enough do you think I, I, for me, the biggest thing when I've watched him, and I watched a lot of his footage mm. um, early in the season, and that was in his best stretch of the season yeah. when we were doing the, the report on him in January, is, is very personally motivated. And I don't mean that in a bad way. What he's very good at is generating space for himself. I haven't really seen much of him doing things where you think that's very selfless and has created loads of space for some someone else. Yeah. The, the big things I noticed, and and, and I'll go back to something that we actually mentioned in our report um, and, and and the one that stood out to me the most, and there were plenty of examples like this, but it was in the game against Manchester City um, at home where he, um, Southampton are countering um, and Stuart Armstrong is bringing the ball forwards and he's running in um, I'm Eric Laporte's blind spot. Mm. And that is something that when you're watching from, from a sort of footage re- review standpoint, and I've watched lots and lots and lots of footage of loads and loads of different strikers, especially over the last few years, because we've had this period where we've been constantly trying to recruit a striker. I've watched so many different strikers um, that have been linked to West Ham at different stages. When you're looking at a 19, 20-year-old that has got the um, intelligence to stay in the in in the shadow of the defender that he's trying to be until the very last possible moment and then to make his burst that's the kind of thing you're looking at and saying that's very very exceptional talent for the for for the level uh, and for the age um you know he's had no, very little to no experience at this point in at premier league level he's come up against a very 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 good defender and he knows to dart beyond at the precise moment he's looking at his teammate at the precise moment his teammate's going to have to release the ball that's when i'm going to make my dart beyond and i'm going to take the first touch outside to completely take this player mm. out of the game um and that is a really really strong part of his game but like you said does he have that movement in terms of helping others I'm not so sure yet. And that's something you really, really need when you're playing in a lone striker system. So if, if we kind of sum up where he plays, he's almost like a, almost a traditional 90s number nine. He's a, he's a goal-scoring striker. He's not a, not a player who scores goals. He's a goal-scorer who plays almost. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, and potentially, maybe, maybe that's what we need. Maybe that's what yeah. we need for more of a plan B plan B system but my, my worry with that is he's not he doesn't strike me as a as a, as a box striker who's going to score loads of goals through his brilliant movement within the penalty box it's that it's that thriving on chaos and chaos and thriving in transition that makes him as good as he is Jack's obviously given a very very comprehensive view uh, there of Roger and he's picked up on all the key points I think when I'm looking at a striker um, particularly someone of that, that mould um it's only natural to to sort of track his data alongside Antonio's because if you mm. take Antonio out of the side and, and put him in, you need to be able to see what he's going to offer us that either Antonio didn't offer us or what he's not going to offer us that Antonio did. And then it's a yeah. case of sort of cost benefit analysis, almost if you will, of <laughs> what you lose. Is it is it is bringing him in? Does he bring enough yeah. to to sacrifice what Antonio does? For me, uh, it, it's it's not at the minute. That doesn't mean to say that he couldn't get to that level, but I think. Rightly, Jack's pointed out his just the the lack of creativity in his game at the minute. Um, I think yes, a lot of people say, "Oh well, we need to bring in a striker that can score twenty goals a season, and then and then we'll be grand." But like for me, I think particularly in the system we play and and with Antonio, I think a more useful number uh, to sort of 
judge our number nine on it is goal contributions rather than just out and out goals and when you look at Antonio compared to Brozier in that in that term it, it's a, a huge gulf I mean to be honest Brozier only scored six goals anyway and Antonio <laughs> scored 12 so that kind of is a separate issue but he did play half the number of minutes but for Brozier to sort of uh, have zero assists uh, all season and Antonio to post 10 you're looking for Brozier to come in and he'd have to score so many more goals to a make up for the assists lost, but then also to make up for the luck, the reduction in goals from the likes of Jared Bowen because he's not going to bring the best out of them. So you look at him have to contribute probably 15, 20 more goals than Antonio brings, which is just for me unfeasible. And I'm, I'm not sure that he's that guy. Um, and and that's that goes beyond right through all his numbers rather than just the sort of base ones. I mean, the fact he ranks in the lowest 2% in Europe for players that create shots from live ball, from live ball possessions. So that's just a pass in, in a live possession rather than dead ball or anything like that. That's just, just really not good. And particularly like, yes, he's a great ball carrier. He averages a very similar number of carries and dribbles and dribble percentages Antonio, but that's all well and good. But if you're carrying the ball all the way up the pitch and then get in there and then you can't actually make the final pass, then that's it's pointless because then the opposition just get the ball back. So you've kind of, you spent 20 seconds to carry in the ball all the way up the pitch and then you get there and the, the attack's nullified and then you're back on the defence, mm. but half your team's been caught up because they've committed to countering. So I think in that sense, it's, it's a no for me. I think it's, it would be I'd, I'd sign him, but not for the quoted price. I think he's clearly a player in there. And yes, there's the argument that you have to pay for potential these days. But I just think to ask him to come in and do the job that Antonio does, I don't think he can do that yet. To ask him to come in and do the job that he does, I think we pretty much have to divert off the sort of trajectory that we've been on over the course of the last few seasons as we look to sort of play more particularly at the end of last season, more possession-based football and we're sort of growing into that and the signings that we're making uh, outside of the striker department, bringing in the likes of Aguerd, that would suggest that we're also looking to build towards a more possession-comfortable side and I don't see how Brozier really fits into that system. Mm. Um, so unless, like you say, we're going to go back to the sort of chaos ball of the Lingard era where it's literally just rapid transitions and you hope that Brozier can get past the last man and when he's in front of goal he's great his, his shooting's good he hits the target almost 50% of the time which is really impressive um, what I will say is that the, the disparity between his shots on target metric and his goal conversion metric which is actually the same as Antonio despite hitting the uh, target 20%, 25% more at the time, uh, to me suggests he needs to kind of work on finding the corner uh, because, and maybe then if he does sort of harness that and, and hone down on hitting the corner and becoming more uh, clinical in front of goal, then we'll see that goal tally go up because if he's hitting the shot, the target 50% of the time, you'd expect him to be scoring a lot more than six goals in a 38 game season. Um but yeah, I just think he doesn't really fit into my sort of trajectory of where I think we're heading at the minute, um, particularly not for 30 million, if that's what they're going to charge. Can I just, can I just play devil's advocate for a second? That's fine. I was on mute anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what about the prospect that, that he comes in to, to, to fulfill a, a role within a, a, a more of a four four two shape, given the, the, the struggles we've seen from a 10 um, and we've, we've lacked sort of uh, final third impact from, from the various 10s we've used over the course of the last season. We've struggled post Lingard really in terms mm-hmm. of the goal drop off. Um, 
like I said, I'm playing devil's advocate, so I don't really necessarily follow this logic much myself, but um, looking at uh, Ward Prowse as an option, looking at Brozier as an option, uh, you could potentially look at that and say, that that could look a little bit more like a four four two or a four three three, where Antonio may drift left a little bit more, and Broch is yeah. playing more of a central striker role. Yeah, I think it, well, it's certainly exciting. I mean, the the prospect of Brozier and Antonio charging down at defenders is pretty frightening, to be honest. <laughs> the pair of them, and assuming they bring the best out of each other, I think there's every reason to believe it would work because Antonio's creativity then offsets Brozier's lack of creativity, and and. Brozier's uh, superior finishing in front of goal offsets Antonio's often inferior shooting <laughs> and the sort of lack of natural technical number nine skill set where he sort of looks a bit more bumbly and uncertain in front of goal. So assuming that you can get them to work in some sort of symbiotic relationship where they bring the absolute best out of each other, I think yes. But I similarly don't know that that would necessarily happen. So you, you talked about kind of we talked about the shot creation stuff. Um, in terms of a, as a passer, I know a lot of people would find Antonio Antonio's passing frustrating would be a word. Um, <laughs> lacking would be another. Um, but he certainly, obviously, <laughs> his numbers are, are, are reasonably strong as a as a shot. You know, the shot creation, the chance creation, and his goal contributions. So he's obviously not awful at it. Um, but he never looks quite uh, sublime with it. How, how does Brozier compare? Yeah. So in Normal player, just looking at the sort of surface level statistics, uh, the most obvious one being pass completion rate. There's really not much in it. I think just a couple of percent. I think uh, Brozier, 70 percent, Antonio, 68.5. So what, one and a half percent difference, um, which is perhaps surprising. But I think it's when you start to get down into the like sort of deeper statistics of progressive passes, passes to the final third, passes to the penalty area, uh, where the difference uh, in the two players is, is, is really, really stark um, and probably speaks to why Antonio's got 10 assists and Borussia's got none. Um, so let's look at progressive passing, for instance, which in a sort of team that might break on fast transitions, progressing the ball forward uh, is obviously really important. Um, and Antonio is turning out 67% accuracy for progressive passes um, and Brogia's on 55. So that's a 12% differential, which is obviously far more marked than a 1.5% one. Uh, and Antonio is also attempting more progressive passes as well. And this trend sort of carries over into passes to the penalty area where Antonio is 8% more accurate uh, with 46.5, um, half. being down on 38.5. Similarly, passes to the final third, Antonio 60%, Brogia 45%. Um, and then again, keeps going, shot assists, Antonio averaging almost triple the number of shot assists each game, um, more than triple the number of key passes. Um, and yeah, it, it just keeps going. So in sort of normal situations, which I guess is why you sort of hear people saying how frustrating Antonio's uh, passing is, is because the situation really is that the high, high threat, very difficult passes are the ones that Antonio is pulling off, but the sort of simple ones where it's played into his feet from midfield or from a throw in and he takes a duff touch and loses possession are the ones where you go, Oh my God, how can you not do that? That's so simple. But then he's also pulling out hooks, left footed chip, chip crosses in the middle of the box under extreme pressure and finding Suchek's head. So, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty much the, the nuts and bolts of it. It's what, what, if we're looking, okay, we're looking at what happens if this goes through. What do you think that we do well that would suit him, Jack? Are there things that we do well that would improve his game, his numbers, suit how he plays, do you think? 
Yeah, well, I think we're quite good in transition. So yeah. that would suit him. And I think yeah. Pablo Fornals, generally, his radar for yeah. passes would suit Brogia very well. Uh, you know, when we're talking about picking out players that could dovetail well together or partnerships that could work, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can see why a Gerd has been picked to go in alongside Zuma and you could see why Brogia would be picked to go in alongside a team that contains four nows, um, for sure. I think counter-pressing is something that we can get better at. I think it's something that Moyes did want to improve on uh, this season. I think you could see that through the the, the the 3-4-3 system that we tried to use in Europe on several occasions, um, pushing uh, four nows up from a left wing back position into a really high um, um, position in the pitch with Rice um, kind of backing that slightly deeper, Suchek committing forward to press high um, and really trying to squash the space around opposition fullbacks or, or centre-backs in um, in those progressive situations, sort of first phase of build-up um, to see if we can force uh, high transitions um, or high turnovers. And um, those situations you could see would suit Brozier very well because he's a very good presser and then he is very good at creating space for himself off of those transitional situations. So um, in that way, he would be very well suited um, for sure. I think, like I've said earlier, the counterbalancing issue is is more how he fits in in, in the possession dominant situations um, and then also how he dovetails with someone like Bowen and, and, and the kind of threats going beyond him when he's having to play as, a, as a single striker and a pivot in transitions from deeper positions. We talk about Broges V and being quite high, but then we're looking at potential. How do you assess what you're getting for the money you are paying for immediate returns and what you're, how much potential is worth and how much you can afford to invest in that potential as well. I think, well, we're in a market now that is very potential focused, potential driven uh, and the amount, um, the, 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 the fees in regards with regards to potential have all gone up. Um, and I, I think that, uh, is reflective really of, of what's happening in terms of if you, if you look at the league really and buying young players, developing them and, and actually buying young players at high levels. Mm. Um, and seems to be more trust just across the board really in terms of developing players and being able to give them senior minutes. Um, I'm not talking about teenagers i'm talking about players in that sort of 20 to 24 range the market for players above that i think grace robertson did a tweet um on this uh in light of the the Mane transfer and also the sterling rumors um that the market for over 26 has has kind of collapsed really for forwards because once you're over that hill there's no Mm. real potential that we're investing in and therefore the fee comes down so i think potential is uh is is very highly valued at the moment and potentially overvalued in, 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 in some ways. Um, and I think it's very important when looking at potential to define that um, by in, in two ways, basically. What can we see from a player already in terms of the skills that they have that we want to develop? And then what skills can we see that they don't have that we're going to need to impart with them through coaching mm. and, uh, and game time, et cetera, et cetera. And I think those two things have to assuage each other when you're looking at a fee. It can't simply be that, well, this player is good at these things already and could develop all of these things. And the fact that they could be all of these things means that they're worth this much mm. because then every player in the world would be worth 80 or hundred million pounds because <laughs> they could all be exceptional. So I think when you're looking at taking Brozier, for example, and assessing Brozier's fee, if he hasn't necessarily shown throughout his entire senior career that he's got the creative output to play as a lone striker and to combine with players going beyond him, that has to in some way assuage the elements that we're saying he's got the potential to be an exceptional player because 
because of his ball striking ability, mm. pressing ability, and his uh, ability to time his runs. Those two should contrast each other somewhat because if you're the buying club and you're saying, uh, or, or the selling club is telling you, we don't want to sell him to you for less than this because he's worth this much to us because he could be this good in the future. You want to be looking that, looking at that and saying, yes, but we're going to have to develop X, Y, and Z from nowhere out of this player because he hasn't, he hasn't shown that thus far. And therefore the fee that we're looking at is lower. And I think just to relate this very briefly back to the sort of the money ball, um, idea and, and, and what was done with, with Micheland, um, the owners of Micheland and Brentford in terms of looking at strikers as they actually targeted. So for for example, when I'm looking at strikers, it's a big uh, red flag to a lot of people if someone's underperforming uh, their XG because they're not necessarily a brilliant finisher. How they uh, consistently found value in the market was by recruiting players forwards that were underperforming their XG mm-hmm. that they could then develop and about targeting that assuaged percent, uh, potential uh, part of the market and saying, well, that's a skill that we don't look to see and we don't see in this player because mm-hmm. he's underperforming. He's actually not a good enough finisher. And Brentford then saying, because the value is low, we can look to develop that on our side. It can't be the case, which it seems to be with Brozier, that all potential stuff that isn't already there that's going to have to be developed from scratch and stuff that is already there that could then become exceptional all gets factored into inflating the price that doesn't lead to an equitable transfer fee i, I suppose it makes, it's it's comments like people saying anything that you've negatively pointed out i know there were people and i don't want to get to twitter arguments but people saying oh he can develop that he's only 20 he can develop that but you're if there's no evidence that they can develop that it's, it is ridiculous to assume everything can be developed just because of the age. Well, no, any player can develop anything. They're right in that sense, but they can't go, can't be factored into how much yeah. you pay for a player. Yeah. That you, doesn't you, yeah. make any sense. Yeah, no, no, you don't exactly. pay more for what a player um, might be that you've got no evidence of. You yeah. pay more for what a player might be that you've seen something of yeah. that you can develop on. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting because positions affect it as well, Cal. I, I suspect strikers' potential costs has more money attached to it than defenders potential because you can't I guess you can get away with playing a striker and then making mistakes are not so crucial we've talked about Issa Diop possibly being something Jason he could be a really good defender by the time he's 29 yeah but you can't yeah. and I stand that, by that I think he could be yeah. really very good later but that's probably not being built into his value at the moment is it because he's got to an age where he hasn't shown it quite yet and he's also a defender so you can't drop him in and hope because those errors are, are really obvious yeah I think that's it because the, the the consequence of having a defender who's underdeveloped is far worse in is far more negative than the consequence of having an underdeveloped striker because they're not actually going to have a negative impact in the sense that you're going to ship goals because of it. You're just maybe not going to score as many goals as you could. But if you put in someone like Diop in even this season, we've seen it he's practically cost us points because of mistakes that have, have been made. If a I suppose strikers not scoring goals can cost you points, but it's not it's not the same and it's not as obvious, if that makes sense. Yeah, it there's a it almost becomes a negative with a defender. Yeah. Their 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 potential is erratic, whereas a striker's potential is something you can look forward to an aspiration yeah. almost. It's more game state impacting when a defender yeah. makes a state than yeah. a mistake than a striker does, and therefore it affects the entire football match rather than mm-hmm. Uh, a, a mischance doesn't uh, buoy the opposition or yeah. change their tactics in the same way that a goal scored would. So we got a, a few names floating around. We kind of obviously we discussed the main ones and we discussed a little bit about how we're working in the window. Uh, 
Kircher and Skamaka are two of them at the moment, Cal. What are your thoughts on either of those? Are both of those, in fact? Yeah. I'd be annoyed if you just did one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, big one, Kircher. Have been for a while. Um, another one that I sort of picked up last season. I think in terms of what we spoke about over the course of the season, in, in w- what we need if we are to replace Suchek or have someone who can alternate with Suchek, I think he would be a good fit. Um, in terms of his progressive ability, he's posting some of the highest progressive passing numbers from any central midfielder in Europe. Um, I think that would really help us in terms of our inability or seeming inability to break down low blocks. Um, he sort of has that ability to just thread the three ball through and, and play the likes of Bowen, et cetera, in. Um, my only concerns would be that he has, throughout his short but uh, impressive career, uh, played very much uh, on the left-hand side of, of a midfield, uh, which is obviously where Rice has thrived. Um, so sort of whether he'd be able to perform as well on the right-hand side remains to be seen. Um, but I think overall, uh, yeah, really impressive. Also, he's he contributes defensively as well. He's not just kind of like a, a Lanzini type who's a 10 that's now playing as a central midfielder. He's sort of perfectly capable and actually prefers to operate from deep, um, which is something I think would be a real addition. Um, and also sort of playing in that fire nod side who have a very high pressing mentality, I think would be another addition when you think of what Suchek offers and doesn't offer. Uh, Skamaka, I think, is someone who I really love as a player. Whether he should be someone that comes to West Ham, I've, I'm really not sure. Um He's six foot five. He's incredible in the air, obviously, if you're six foot five. Uh, surprisingly good with the ball at his feet. Um, I think the biggest Touch concern... Touch for a big man. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but I pretty much did. Um, his finishing... Uh, it's going to sound superlative, but genuinely, I'm not sure I've seen anyone strike a ball quite so well in Europe uh, this season. Uh, it's just frightening how, how good his shooting is. But the flip side of that is that because he is so good at shooting, he has a real tendency to just strike it from anywhere. I think I saw a graph. I'm not sure who posted it on um, on Twitter, but I saw a visual of his his shot map. And to say that the shot selection is unwise uh, <laughs> would probably already be generous. But um, the fact of the matter is that he does actually score quite a few of them. But in a moist side, I think I could really see Skamaka winning over the fans because he's a bit of a shit house and he's just like an aggressive, tall, strong striker. But also absolutely infuriating moist because of his decision making in the final third the sort of um maverick nature of him just striking balls from anywhere because he fancies himself and Moyes just on the touchline absolutely fuming because he just killed another attack um so yeah I, I like him I just don't think he'd be that good for us and that brings us to a new one today before I finish on up on new one today's Isaiah Isaiah Jones um from no, Borough. Borough. It's he, he. He's his performances that Spence went on loan to Borough, wasn't it? Looks looks more of a wing back than a right back to me, Jack. Definitely more of a wing back. Uh, obviously, Chris Wilder at Borough at the moment playing that that lovely three back system with the overlapping <laughs> centre backs. Love that. Um, no. Uh, it doesn't look like someone who's going to invert so much to me. It looks like someone who's going to stick to the touchline, whip, whip balls in, very, very good. Uh, explosive movements uh, looked very nice at sort of being able to bring... I've, I haven't seen loads of footage, I must admit, but because um, it's brand new, but but looks very capable of being able to bring the ball to a stop and then explode uh, and use those first two yards to create the room for a cross. Um, and, and that would potentially be very useful in a three-back system. Um, again, linking back to what we talked about earlier, uh, um, with that kind of development of the three back plan through through recruitment, which is uh, I, from where I'm sitting, a necessity 
given how bad it was last season and mm-hmm. how regularly we were forced to play it by Moyes' preference of using it to match up against teams that also use a three-back system. Okay, what about Christian Eriksen, who's mm-hmm. linked here, there and everywhere, doesn't want to move up north, does want to move up north, doesn't care about Champions League football, does care about Champions League football, could be playing for Brentford, isn't playing for Brentford. Um, he's obviously a better 10 than Lanzini, isn't he? Yes. Uh, in some ways, will he? Yes. Will he? Will he work? Is he slightly too forward thinking? Not going to get back involved in the middle? No, or? no, 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 no. no, no. Okay. Uh, the, the 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 problem with Ericsson, um it's not a problem actually. It's one of his big strengths. But Brentford uh, kind of tailored their system in the second half of the season to maximise his ability, uh, and I think that's really important to kind of factor into your thinking about Ericsson. Um In some ways, you're not necessarily going to get loads out of him in terms of what happens on the last line and you're not going to necessarily get loads out of him in terms of what happens defensively on the last line where he's very good is in those moments of transition find Ericsson and he'll find someone who's making a very good run mm-hmm. uh, and that's where he's a kind of exceptional he's, he's mm-hmm. got an almost unparalleled ability at just sort of receiving the ball and first or second touch just pinging someone in, in behind he's also very very good in between the lines against the set defense so against the low block mm. he's very useful in that way picking out spaces receiving the ball and finding someone who might be able to make a run um, in behind the defense so very very good creatively also someone who takes a lot of shots and is quite a good ball striker and will score goals um, through doing that uh, issues being not hugely mobile um, so in a transitionally focused team that are going to be getting up and down regularly, he's probably going to be a little bit more stable while the team moves around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can carry that in different ways. I think Brentford do that very well and did that very well. Look at the profiles of their central midfielders, uh, big, strong, physical boys that could cover the distance around Ericsson. Yes, I think we could do that somewhat with Rice and Suchek. And that means that for me, he would make a lot more sense in a 4-3-3 shape where he's potentially occupying that left-sided central midfield spot in a midfield that also contains Rice and Suchek. Now, that is a slightly different plan to, I think, what a lot of us are anticipating. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I would look at utilising him as more of a uh, as a number 10 in the 4-2-3-1 because I think what we really should be looking to do is improve our counter-pressing opportunities with that system uh, and, and, and pin teams in a little bit better. And I don't really see Ericsson um, as the kind of player, although he's going to have a abilities against the set low block mm. as the kind of player who's going to be able to impact very positively in the counter-pressing situations. He's not a high volume presser because of his lack of mobility and his lack of dynamism. And I don't think he's a particularly effective presser either. Um, so for those two reasons, I don't really see him as a, as a future solid number 10. Um, also his age. I mean, he's 30. Yeah. I, I just find it impossible to resist because I've always loved him as a player. He's a brilliant player. He's just but such he's a, a build gorgeous around. footballer. He's a build he? around. I think that's really important. It was so painful him going to Spurs mm-hmm. um, amidst many others. Um, you, it's tantalising because there's something about it that is quite tantalising even if you could actually logically look and go, it doesn't suit us. <laughs> <laughs> no, for, funny, sure, for sure. The funny you go, oh, but it could be lovely. Um, we will be back. We'll be back. When are we back actually? So now we've got, when's our next Twitter space? Two weeks time. Two weeks time for the Twitter space, then two weeks after that for the next pod? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Month, monthly remember. podcasts and, and, um, and monthly spaces. 
I remember the conversations I've been heavily involved in. I should know. <laughs> um, so we shall be back in two weeks on a, in a Twitter space. I, I mean, I never know. I might pop up on a Isaac Mother Brown or an awards or something. I, I, I seem to get about, but you know, hopefully it'll just be something normal. But then we will tweet all that out and get the links together. We kind of got it all sorted last last time. It was all right. Yeah, I, th- I enjoyed it really well. And for me, that's a pretty good review. Um, so we shall see you in two weeks where I'd imagine, well, I mean, I've got a list of about 70 names. There'll be about 30 added by then, I'm sure. And we'll pick out the ones that actually make sense to talk about. What do you reckon? Quick one before we go. Are we going to assign someone in two weeks' time? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'll just go yes, just, just to play devil's advocate. You optimistic fool. <laughs> um, so it's two weeks. We should see you in in the Twitterverse or whatever the crap I'm meant to say now. Um, and until then, good night. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late, late show with the host of a late, late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> and big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it, yeah. yeah. It's great. Yes, it's Find excitement it. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at KUMB.com. Come on you irons.